0: Joining me today on the Brand Boost Podcast is Savannah Peterson, a great friend of mine. Savannah is Director of Innovation Strategy at Spec Design in Silicon Valley. Uh, she helps companies, entrepreneurs develop ingenious new products, and really she thrives on the go-to-market journey. Um, her story is incredible. I am so happy to have her on the podcast, and she is a ball of knowledge, Uh, All things design, uh, product development. So without further ado, Rachel, take us away.
1: You're listening to the Brand Boost Podcast, an exclusive look at who's doing business right. He's your favorite brand correspondent with more tweets than the Bible's got Psalms. Here's your host, Vincenzo Landino.
0: Today I'm in Savannah, not Savannah, Georgia um how are you my dear
1: i'm i'm well it's a little wet over here in the bay
0: yeah it's probably I, I was, yeah yeah i was thinking a little, little warm warm and soggy for sure
1: yeah it's finally finally fall uh how are things how are things down south
0: uh f- fantastic they're they're uh always quite wonderful to look at down here
1: excellent and it's
0: beautiful. Um, <laughs> I have to say, so the reason why we're having this awkward conversation is because Savannah is wearing a a orange tank top, and orange is my favorite color. And the tank top says, "Strong women intimidate boys and excite men." And so I'm I'm sitting here, uh, kind of acting like a boy right now, and I'm just like, <laughs> "This is crazy. It's very funny." Um, welcome to the show, Savannah. What's
1: going on? Thank you. It's it's a pleasure to be here. It's been a wild few months. It's been too long since I saw you in Tampa. Last time out supping in the yes. beautiful sunshine.
0: I, so Savannah and I were uh, stand-up paddleboarding, if you didn't catch the supping reference, in um, in Tampa. That was my first time. I, you, you did great. You popped my sup, ch- uh, sup cherry.
1: <laughs> I'm so <laughs> proud. You
0: should be. Uh, you know what I love about you, Savannah, is that you are – and this is all over some of your social channels. Is that you're hungry for innovation, and you know you love bringing new products to the market, and you solve needs. I mean, anytime I have a, anytime I had a conversation with you, you're all about like, how can I fix a problem? Like that's what you want to know. How, how do I fix a problem? And it's perfect for this conversation today because I want to talk about how, like product design. I mean, that's what you do out there in the Silicon Valley, right?
1: Yeah, or so they say. Huh.
0: You know, they, if they say it, then I believe it. I mean, if if it's on the internet, it's true, right? One hundred percent. All right. So listen, I want to know about the Silicon Valley real quick before we get going. Is it true, like all the things that people say about the Silicon Valley?
1: So, have you ever watched the show?
0: I, I love the show.
1: So the show is kind of my life. Uh, and is it not,
0: really your life, or are you just saying that?
1: I, you know, I wish I, I wish I could say I'm one of those. <laughs> Bravo-esque reality stars who's just saying it for the fame but it is that awkward and it is that weird but it also is that full of opportunity and I think while on the show it's obviously a bit of a joke and there are definitely moments where there's nothing I can do but laugh there's so much change and adventure and Challenge to the norm that happens here on a daily basis that um, it's it's definitely accurate in that sense too, and it's all very close. the valley is a very very small place once you're actually embedded in it,
0: you know there's so many people that say like you don't get it, you live on the east coast, you have no idea what it's all about. is it that different
1: you know i mean i don't I kind of despise the the Tupac, Biggie, East Coast, West Coast battles of Silicon Valley and Silicon Alley.
0: Don't get me started with that, all right?
1: (laughs) I, I just, I mean, they're both wonderful for very different reasons. As you know, I've spent time in both the Silicon Valley as well as two glorious years in New York, and both in the tech scene, both in hardware. And what I can say is there is no place on Earth where there is a higher saturation of people that can help you, either with advice or building your team or with fiscal capital or social capital, quite frankly, than there are in the Silicon Valley when it comes to technology innovation. Um, that that currently extends to both software and hardware. Um, I think New York offers a lot of different things lifestyle-wise, uh, depending on what you like to do and, and who you want to connect with, that... The Valley doesn't. Like, for example, Silicon Valley is probably one of the least fashionable places on Earth. And if you wanted to start a fashion startup, even if it was hardware, you might want to do it in New York City. Um, That said, I've never been more personally intellectually stimulated anywhere I've lived than I am here in the Valley and in the Bay Area. And that's why I moved back to San Francisco. So at least for me, and I like sunshine and having a car and going to the beach, and yeah.
0: So, you know, you're everywhere. You just got back from New Zealand.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, I saw a lot of the pictures and and whatnot. Looked like an absolutely amazing time, Uh, but now it's back to reality, and here you are on the Brand Boost podcast, and we're chatting about functional product design. I mean, to me, it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but I know for you, It's like it's life, obviously, but you are so passionate about it. It, it, What I love about you too is that you put people and passion before the great product. And as a product designer, or as somebody who's coming, you know, main goal is to come up with great products. You focus on who's actually using the products and what the reasoning for using those products is. So let's talk a little bit about it. How? do you make something visually appealing yet functional? So right now I'm on my Mac and I have this magic mouse that's so pretty. It looks like an art piece, but it's functional and it works really well. And I have the keyboard and it's a Bluetooth keyboard and it's beautiful and it works so well. How do, how does one go about doing this? I mean, please go in depth as much as you can on, you know, designing a, visual, a visually appealing yet functional app. And you did show me something earlier today. We're not going to talk about it because I don't know if I can, but, it was definitely functional and it was very pretty so how did
1: you like how what goes into that yeah well i think you touched on a lot of different things and i think starting really at the top you talked about community and i think one of the the big things i harp on a lot is that community is your first defensible asset so a lot of the time in silicon valley is is often known for sort of this disease is people don't talk about things they're creating because they're afraid someone's going to steal their idea. And the reality is if you don't know that people actually want the thing you're creating, it doesn't really matter if someone steals your idea because you can make the best thing in the entire world, but it doesn't matter if you can't sell it. And so I think I'm really passionate about talking with people and and especially with talking to people who are a little bit different than I am because they obviously see pockets and gaps in the world and spaces that I w- I don't necessarily see in my daily life. And working with people on their various inventions and then finding out that those markets are actually quite larger. I mean, niche markets are popping up all over the place with our new connected world and economy. Um, it allows for sort of a new a new era of product design. And I think before companies had to really... Designed for the masses, and then they could start designing for say in Apple's case, and this is obviously my bias aside, the classier masses, the more upscale the the more upscale consumer who could afford more, who potentially was double income, no kids, highly educated, you know, classic sort of early adopter demographic. The I, same love, demog- I love Dick's.
0: <laughs> I just, dinks. I, the fact that you said it, I just had to be like, yo, I love dinks. And the first time someone said to me, double income, no, or said to me, dink, I was like, what the hell does that mean? And they're like, double income, no kids. I was like, I, I, I looked at them like they had four heads. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? So right. sorry, I, I digress, but no. it's, just, it's funny to say that. So go ahead.
1: Totally. No. And I mean, they're very, I love you dinks too. You're a killer buying demographic. You buy all the the lovely things I bring to market often. Uh, the single folks too, Hale, myself included. Uh, um, yes,
0: both of us, very much included.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I think I think you find out what people need and then you make sure there's not something existing on the market that's already doing it that maybe nobody knows about. Um, but then beyond that, I mean, the, the core of the question that you're asking is really how do you balance form and function? And I think it's a really big challenge for, for almost everyone. And I don't think it became as obvious of a challenge until Apple decided to settle on nothing but the beautiful. And they found a way, essentially due to both their stubbornness as well as their sheer scale, to force the, the market and, and the world into sort of a different way of looking at things. And now you you see new phones that come out, and they just like heinous in comparison to the iPhone. And it's so funny because... Nobody said anything about the rotary phone or about the old phones. We didn't care, Um, but they made us care. And I think brands are starting to make us care about their products and subsequently about the community of people that surround those products in a way that they didn't before. And that's sort of what I try and do all the time. And I think that starts with, you know, obviously communicating with people you can trust but communicating early and often and getting feedback because you can end up down a rabbit hole, a very expensive rabbit hole in hardware real quick if you're not careful.
0: Yeah, I mean, as I sit here with my iPhone, and I didn't want to turn this into an Apple discussion, but let's face it. Anytime anybody talks about functionality and beauty, you have to bring Apple into play. I mean, they create such beautiful products, and they – for listen – I don't think I've ever come across personally a an Apple product that's hasn't been functional yet drop dead gorgeous. Um and this and this question is kind of maybe something again we're maybe going down a rabbit hole but why do you think there are brands or companies that don't get it? And I'm not going to name brands, so we don't have to name ones, but why are there brands that don't create functional and beautiful products. Like is there a reason for it?
1: Well, I think <laughs> as any woman would tell you as well, beauty is expensive. Um there there is spoken a...
0: like a true woman.
1: <laughs> There's <laughs> a girly girl. <laughs> I'm not even you know me. I'm not even that. I'm a woman in hardware. How girl You are, can you I are really yes. Be? Um, you've seen me in a fuck necklace for Christ's
0: sake. <laughs> so, wait a minute. I have to explain that because, she, for those of you that have no idea, um, Savannah designs her own jewelry and she does wear a necklace that says fuck on it. Um, uh, I'm, not and it's even, black I'm not even kidding Yes, it is. Not even kidding you. She wears a necklace that says fuck on it. Um, she's also been quoted in articles like How to Be Ballsy and Female in Silicon Valley. So. <laughs> Savannah, yes, you're a girl, but you know how to handle it. So go go ahead, I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> no, but it's it's funny because it's I've never made that analogy before, but it's so true. Uh, I think you know I think industrial design is is honestly very underappreciated. And back in the early days when only a few companies controlled the gates to both hardware design as well as hardware manufacturing, it was easy to take the cheap route and make it big and boxy and ugly. And there's plenty of brands that still do that. And because they're so cost competitive can, can kind of get away with it. But the reality is as manufacturing costs come down, it's getting competitive and people kind of have to, to buck up. And I think, I hope we're seeing the beginning or at least part, part of the way through the phasing out of the ugly products, if you will. Um, But it really was because there was no one making anything more beautiful and now that everyone can kind of get their hands on things and either make things here or get over to Shenzhen if they need to, um, it's possible. Uh, I'll never forget, just as a final Apple closing note, this is a good good anecdote about one of my mentors. So everyone should have a mentor, first of all. They're the most important person in your life, aside from your family. Um, but I'll never forget, I didn't know he was going to be my mentor at the time, but it was it was day one of working in a Silicon Valley design firm for me a while ago. And I hadn't worked in design. I'd, I'd been in social and in digital, but I hadn't actually made anything and aside from websites. And uh, I walked into a meeting, sat down at the end of the table, nervous as hell. And there was this very dapper, well-dressed, obviously intelligent man sitting there, palming and twisting his caseless iPhone around in his hands. And he was doing it very methodically and very meticulously, and I couldn't help but watch him. And he looked over at my iPhone in an OtterBox case. (laughs) And, And as I slowly retracted it in shame, he asked to the room, but obviously to me, now why would someone take an object so beautifully designed And meticulously manufactured and put it in something as ugly as that. And I knew in that moment I could never have anything but a clear, if any, case on my phone from that point forward. So that's working in hardware for you.
0: (laughs) God, wow. That's, you know, it's a whole different world for me, for sure. Like, I'm not even... And, you know, you deal with this day-to-day. You are... You're there. So... Would you say there's any, like what, I don't want to get there yet. I I guess I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, there's definitely, would you say there's definitely a balance between the beauty and functionality?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to put a ratio on it, but if you were really thinking about it, it should be as functional as it is beautiful. I mean, the thing has to inherently work. That's a fact that should be a baseline. But once you've gotten it there, there's no reason not to challenge yourself to make it gorgeous. And I just think that I mean I didn't learn what industrial design was as a discipline until I was out of college, really. I mean I kind of knew of it, but I didn't know what it was, and that's what decides the shape and form of pretty much everything that we have. And it's amazing. I wish I wish more people were looking at industrial design and and that I had known it existed when I was educating myself, not to date myself,
0: but yeah. (laughs) Oh, stop it. Date yourself, please. Um, No, I think you bring up something very important there is the ratio of functionality to beauty. And, you know, my issue is that we see so many products out there that are either really, really beautiful, but they are absolutely pieces of shit in terms of functionality. Or they're really, really functional, but they are the ugliest Things you've ever seen and there's very very few products that fit into that functional and beautiful uh, and obviously you you know like you said you, you made a comment like oh you pay for it you know it's expensive um y- you know it is expensive and it, like do you see that ever going away or do you just see it continuing do you see that like is there ever a point where you think beauty functionality and price will ever kind of converge at this you know, for the masses or will that always be something exclusive?
1: I think I think there will always be different segments of the market, but I think it will become more accessible. Just like in the same way, you know, Apple had only one, two percent of market share just 15, 20 years ago, and watching what they've done, I mean it is a high scale product, uh, very excuse me, very high-end product that reached scale and that dropped the cost to a place where we can all afford it, at least attempt to afford it. Um, And I think that we'll see the same thing happen in certain things. I think additive manufacturing, you know, I come from a 3D printing background. So I think as tools become more accessible to more people, you see the cost of things come down. Because inherently also people become aware of what it truly costs to make something versus the inflated cost of what we often see. Um, That said, you know, artisan, handcrafted, well-designed things will always have a premium value. But that's kind of a different class all in itself anyway um that said (laughs) one anecdote let's just put it this way um there's a very popular brand of headphones that has a very low quality uh sound component inside of it Mm -hmm. and it always cracks me up when i see people with said headphones because it shows either that they can't hear or that they really just care more about a certain appearance yeah
0: no you're right i mean but those, like, to me, brands like that just – they're taking the easy way out, in my opinion. You know, like, oh, yeah, let's make it really beautiful because people are going to spend money for it. The vain people will spend tons of money on this product. But and, – and here's the thing, and this is and, – and obviously you and I know exactly what we're talking about right now. But here's the thing about a product like that. There's 98% of the population – Will never even hear the difference in that product. Never, they just think it looks so freaking cool. I want to buy it. Um, but it's it's about hitting that, like you said. I mean, that functionality piece is so so important. And in this in this case, we're talking about quality, not even just functionality. We're talking about quality. You know, at what point are we creating quality? And and that's where I think. And again, not to jump on you know Apple's jock at this point, but. They create a functional, a beautiful, and it's also a really well thought out product. It's so simple to use, but it's also advanced enough for somebody who wants a little bit, you know, more in depth. You know, a, a, you know. And again, I'm not going to be this Android Apple guy right now. That's not what I want to go into. But to me, whatever it, it encompasses everything. So I want to move on to the next point. But where does where does office atmosphere and like design? Because again, we're talking about Silicon Valley and how it is out there. Where does where does the design and office atmosphere come into play in um in your world?
1: Yeah, I think And I know, know we're I think,
0: changing I know we're kinda of jumping, but I, <clears throat> these no, are no, I, I think, points I
1: wanted to get to, so Yeah, well I think I mean just as important as the things in our offices, so are our spaces and so are the people that occupy those spaces. And I think that oftentimes people think that you can only design software or hardware but you can actually design your life as well as your workspace and you can actually really contribute to the flavor of of your work culture as well and um I think that there's kind of two things that I've seen really work and and a couple kind of subpoints on each of them um the first one I'll talk about is actually from New York and it's one of the kind of Sweetest, but also most accurate pieces of culture advice I think I've ever heard from anyone. And it's when uh, I was being recruited by Shapeways, and um, I I really didn't think I was going to move to New York. Uh, I'm a California girl. Mm -hmm. I had lived in Seattle and Austin. I've kind of even though
0: the fall is way better out here. Just saying.
1: (laughs) So true. I will give you fall. You can have it. Um, and I miss it. That's, that's a fact. <laughs> it does not feel, well, it kind of feels like it today with the rain, but, um, but I did not think I could do it. I'm just such a California beach gal. And I, and yet I came out to, to meet the Shapeways team. And as I started to meet people, I could feel it coming. And I thought, Shit, man, this team is really cool. And I talked to the CEO of Shapeways and I was like, dude, you've made some really great hires. And he looked at me and, in a very candid Dutch way, said, well, I would invite all of these people to my birthday party. Oh, and it's one of those things that's so simple. Yeah. And yet, like, what a, what a fun culture bound. Like, I don't know, but I'm sure you're like me. Like, I have a rather diverse group of friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll speak for myself on this. I'm a bit of a drifter. So I kind of have hung out with a lot of different walks of life and I love bringing them all together. Ask anyone who's come to a dinner party or a celebration of mine or one of my CES parties, what's up, coming up in January. Um, And so, I mean, looking at the team and and there was kind of this just unspoken, um, yet to be defined synergy and uh, it's such a cool way of looking at it. And ever since then, when I hire people, or when I help people build their teams, I I always you know remind them that everyone there should be someone you would invite to your birthday party, and maybe just the front half of your birthday party. Maybe they don't come to the after hours, but you know, like. <laughs> no, it's a good.
0: It's a. I mean, it's a solid point, and I think that's where, um, you know, I was having this conversation via social media today, where you know employees are the biggest advocates of brands nowadays it's not it's no longer where you you need to like shame your employees and you know not not consider them as your greatest marketing asset that they actually are and um when you're working with people that you love to work with and when those people love working with you i mean things can only the product is only better in in my opinion right um but, so listen, let's talk, I, I listen, I know you're a busy gal, you're out in the Silicon Valley, you know, this is your time uh, to crush it and of course I'm eating into that time but I, I, I do want to talk a little bit about uh, some functional design and like, how how does one create that, that type of a product? How does one create this functional, beautiful product? Um, I don't know how many, maybe you have like five tips off the top of your head or so but what could you give me if you wanted to give our listeners, like, they're going to park their car at the office and they're going to walk into their office and they're going to say, we're going to create a kick-ass freaking design today, or we're going to create a kick-ass product, how do they go ahead and do that?
1: Absolutely. You know me, I just run around with listicles on the front of my mind, so uh, I come prepared for these moments whenever they may come, especially if it's on your podcast. Um, I think the <laughs> the... <laughs> The the first thing that I think everyone should do, and what's really cool about this, is no matter what you do right now, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or an executive, it doesn't matter. There's something that you don't have in your life that you wish you had. And whether that's an app or a, a piece of hardware or an extra hook by the door to hang your jacket, whatever that is, whatever that thing is that you need, if there's not an existing solution, somebody else probably needs that too. And the first thing I always do and and those in the design thinking crowd and my mentor at Stanford Teaches um all, all preach and sort of agree on is you have to start with solving a need. And you have to you have to confirm that there are actually humans that need this. That this isn't just some <laughs> random thing that like you wanna hack together. Like um, I feel for and I'm so grateful for my personal network because they always end up being my beta testers and have to fill out surveys and answer Facebook posts and excessive tweets, asking questions about spaces and things and trying to learn more about everything from bronies to making, you know, videos on your phone to the new Apple Pencil. So
0: Apple Pencil. Yes. Love that stuff.
1: Yes. So, um, yeah, I think you, you really have to start with solving needs. Uh, the second thing that you need to do and, uh, this analogy will go out to all my football fans out there, uh, is you have to optimize your team. And I think kind of to your point, and like you're saying, like, you know, you do way better when you like the people that you're working with and especially out here in the Valley, or if you're doing your own hustle or if you're just trying to be more agile, uh, when you can really rely and trust on everyone and you believe like you're driving towards the right thing, you really do create things faster and better. And uh, one of my <laughs> one of my personal struggles and favorite moments with this was, uh, so a few years ago I was working with someone who had, before working at a startup where I was working, been an executive at Amex. And going from a company as large as Amex to a startup like ours, was, I'm sure, quite a transition for him, as was working at a startup like ours and going to working for someone like him was for me. And we had very different styles, to put it lightly, Uh, but we're in positions where we needed to respect each other, and we somehow managed to kind of tiptoe around and sort of make it work. And then, thankfully, it was football season. And I'm a big Seahawks fan. I actually used to work for Fox Sports back Mm. in the day. Um and work for the Hawks. Hey what's up, guys? Um, the Sonics when they were still there, as well as the Mariners. Anyway. Uh, so I'm a, definitely a, pr- a proper sports fan, a respectable sports fan, even to the to the middle-aged white man, which says something uh also about what I do and where I am uh, and how I've managed to survive. But anyway, so um kind of out of the blue, he uh he comes up to me and he says. As- hey, you know, um, I was thinking the other day, we're kind of like Pete Carroll and and Marshawn Lynch and uh, the Shermanator.
0: Oh, really? And, I this I need to know. This is, yeah. Okay, let's find this out.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm kind of looking at him, and I'm like, where is this possibly going? Because yeah. typically analogies with him and I had kind of fallen flat both directions. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, he goes, well, you know, like, I was listening to Pete Carroll talk about them and like, they're the top performers on the team. And rather than him setting practice for them, he lets everyone on the team decide when and how they're going to practice. And under the assumption that everybody knows how to optimize themselves, they know how to practice. They're all professionals. It's what they're supposed to do. And he's like, it used to be weird to me that you weren't in the office at eight o'clock. And then I would get 10 emails from you at 2am. And I thought, well, wait, who am I really to judge when she's working if she's optimizing herself when she works best?
0: That didn't really work in the Super Bowl, though. Marshawn must have forgot to practice that day or something. Is well, that, I is mean, that it's t-
1: it kind of depends on what Super Bowl we're talking about here, because I do remember one in which Peyton Manning really jokes.
0: Uh, yes, that's true as well. OK, continue.
1: <laughs> I'll just divert. D- divert that uh, question. Yeah, <laughs> um, <laughs> the the, uh, the third thing you need to always be willing to do, and this is with any aspect of your life, is to iterate. I think, I think we've all learned that getting it right the first time is probably unlikely, no matter what it is that we're trying. And even if it's making a small change or um, adding something or changing a color or removing something or starting from scratch – uh, you need to be willing, willing to iterate, and especially before you've released something, you have all the time in the world to change it. It's a lot harder to change something when it's out and being judged actively mm-hmm. by the world. Um, that's kind of the foundation of being agile, though, in general. The fourth thing that everyone needs to do, and this kind of goes back to me constantly sampling my personal social networks, is you need to really listen to and consistently gather user insights. Research and user feedback are the things that really drive truly beautiful and innovative product design. And people think they know what they want, but they don't often know what they want until they're either interacting with it or you've designed something around their needs versus their their asks sometimes, and that's where user feedback comes in. That's and such, if you,
0: I, I like that one. I don't want to cut you off, but I like that one because yeah. the old mentality was – this is our product, either you use it or you don't, right? It it wasn't, we're not gonna change the product. We're not gonna update it. It was, here it is, this is what we came up with. You use it, and if you don't like it too bad. So, I mean, you you really cut out a whole end user, that maybe like the product, but maybe wanted just a couple changes or a couple, you know, a few tweaks uh, and a few tweaks may have made it so much better. Um, So I, I, I like that user feedback. Go ahead. I I just, I love that because to me, considering the user, the end user, the people that are actually, let's let's face it, the people that are actually paying for the product, like why aren't you listening to them?
1: Yeah. And I think, I think that's, what's kind of cool about a lot of this stuff, not to totally divert But that you and I do even like this, like when you're when you're directly communicating and being really transparent with people on the or in real life, it just allows for things to be better. There's stuff you don't think about until you have shown something to to a lot of people. I I just tested two products on that New Zealand trip and it's amazing. Uh, A lot of big brands do user testing in New Zealand because their market is a really ideal size. It's about four million people half rural, half metropolitan, um, and it was so fun because there were definitely consistent patterns across the groups, a lot of positive feedback, and just like so many insights and creative ways of thinking about the products that I had not even considered, and and I've talked to a lot of people here in the States, and it just goes to show how much you can learn by asking so many different groups of people and and at, uh, and always touching base at different stages in, in the product, um, and the last thing kind of goes back to all those people that you talked to the first time, and your new your new people, um, and that's build a community. Um, the, your product has only the value of its electronic or digital lifetime unless you create a group of people that are not only empowered by but also inspired by whatever it is that you're doing so they'll either hang out with you through the product journey and see what you make next or they will continue to help you iterate and and listen to them and and make whatever that product you made better
0: uh the community user anything user generated is always uh turns into your biggest like marketing you know and I preach this a lot too the employee and you've already mentioned that optimizing your team so the employee is a, is a huge advocate of the brand but also you know your users whoever your user are your user is and that end user if you're if you're listening to them taking advice from them how much more are they going to advocate for you and your product um so uh, those are wonderful those are amazing uh, you know five tips so for those of you five tips to to create uh functional great products uh, Savannah seriously thank you so much for taking your time. I know that you are like the busiest person ever and you are like for you to take, I I really appreciate this because this is something we've been talking about since uh, I think we did our, we did a tank top talk episode with uh, (laughs) Jason Yarbrough of social fresh (laughs) and uh, you know, we did an episode with him and, and, and now here we are. We're finally like, this is like two months later. We're finally getting on an episode of the Brand Boost podcast, so thank you so much.
1: You are so welcome. I'm stoked to see you rocking this, kicking yes. ass. We, your new company too.
0: Well, I'll see you in San Francisco in uh, in a couple months in in January. So that'll be fun.
1: Yeah, um, I can't wait to can't wait to host you, tempt you to the west, oh, show you what the Silicon Valley is all about.
0: Oh no, uh, just let our let the uh, let the users let the
1: listeners know <laughs>
0: where they can find you.
1: You fabulous individuals kind enough to listen to us banter for the last few moments can find yours truly at Sav is Savvy on both the Twitterverse and on Instagram and about me. Uh, I'm a pretty Googleable human by nature, just Savannah Peterson uh, across the web's I'm seen currently high kicking like a rocket in the captain's seat of a yacht. So if that's the headshot you bump into, that's me. Um, and I also run the Tumblr datinginnerdland.com, where you can see anonymous excerpts from things that happened to me and to others dating in this very unique environment.
0: That's for another episode. Uh, so, thank Savannah. Seriously, though, on, on a serious note, thank you. I'm glad I had you on because uh, you know we have good banter. So, thank you for, thank you for this. Appreciate it.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, dear. Thanks for staying up late.
0: Of course. Savannah's absolutely incredible, and I love the five tips that she dropped. Uh, just to recap: solving user needs, optimize your team, iterate. Uh, Listen to user feedback and really build a community. Uh, Not a big fan of her Pete Carroll reference, but hey, whatever. I'm not a Seahawks fan, so that's cool. Um, Savannah is, again, absolutely incredible. Check out her links in the show notes uh, to get a better feel for her. Connect with her everywhere on social and see a little bit more of what she does. And this is my favorite part of the podcast. Uh, My Italian lesson, so let us get into it. We're going on a date this week. And in order to go on a date, we need to reserve a table. So, vorrei prenotare una tavola per due, per la sette. One more time. Vorrei prenotare una tavola per due, per la sette. And what I just said was... I would like to reserve a table for two for 7 p.m., essentially 7 p.m. Uh, one more time. Vorrei prenotare una tavola per due per la sette. So, again, I would like to reserve a table for two for 7 p.m. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us feedback, whether it is on iTunes with a review and rating or reach out to me directly on Twitter at Vincenzo Landino. I welcome the public feedback until next time. Ciao.
1: This has been a Vincenzo Landino.com production. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the brand boost podcast, please give us a rating, write a review or subscribe. Head on over to brandboostcast.com forward slash subscribe.